Bingetown, how are we feeling today? It's your boy Dave, and I am joined by fellow co-hosts Brian and Kyle. And if you couldn't tell by the title, today we are covering Netflix's Netflix's live-action adaptation of Avatar: The Last Airbender, specifically episodes one and two, titled "Ang and Warrior." To start this recording off, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here with our history with this show. So I think this show came out in about 2005. So we were about 10 years old when this show came out and it immediately took over. I don't specifically remember getting into a point of watching like week by week, but I was heavily addicted into Nickelodeon back in the day. So shows like Avatar, The Last Airbender, SpongeBob, you know, all those OGs were just like constantly on repeat on my TV. So rewatching live episodes, rewatching old episodes, I feel like even without a rewatch now, I could probably just tell you the entire story without even having to go back and watch. And that's how much I watched it back in the day. It, I also vividly remember back in 2008 when the finale dropped and I had all of us over to watch it at my house. We were 12 yes, years old at that point. So it was like our first ever watch party for a show, you know, before the Game of Thrones and for all shows like that that came around. And we didn't even know what was going on. We didn't know we were a part of history at the moment. And I just remember us like kind of wrestling after the episode, just like pretending to each be our own bender. And, <laughs> you know, this is just one of the best if not arguably the best animated show of all time. Um, that's up for discussion, obviously, but I'll quickly yeah. say that <laughs> I don't know what your guys is. Uh, I've watched Korra. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about Korra, uh, but I just want to know if you guys have watched that as well. Just really quickly. I've seen the first two seasons. Okay. I've, I've watched it. Okay. And so with all that being said, there was a lot of mixed emotions about this show's announcement. Um, we all remember the disaster that was the M. Night Shyamalan take on the movie that came out whatever year that was, and that soured so much of the legacy of this animated show. So we weren't exactly, I guess, stoked about this release. But we do understand that it's kind of a new era. Live actions are becoming somewhat normal and more popular, and they're being done more well done than they were in the early 2000s. So... We, of course, had to give it a chance. And then specifically talking about these two episodes, I will say, based on our text, I feel like I am going to be the highest on maybe specifically episode one. I honestly really, I won't say really enjoyed. I enjoyed episode one and episode two was meh. I will agree that episode two was not anything crazy special. I thought episode one was good, was definitely way better, but I'm roped into the roped into the show enough that I want to keep watching. The only kind of bad thought I have with the show is that I'm watching and I just want to watch the animated version. Like it's just the animated is just so much. It just means so much to us. So with all that being said, I'll finally pass it over to you two. I know I kind of talked a little bit there and kind of probably took a lot of what you guys were going to say, but I'll let you guys go ahead and speak and throw your two cents for both the original show and the live action just really quickly. Yeah, I'll pick it up. I mean, what can you say about the animated show? It is just a beloved part of my childhood. And in preparation for the live action, I rewatched all of season one in a matter of probably 48 hours. It's just such a good story with such good characters, such good voice acting. It is literally, you know, you see that meme of the hand-drawn horse and then... Yeah. It trails off and it becomes like a kindergartner's sketch. This is truly the embodiment of um, 
the yeah. meme where the horse is fully drawn perfectly drawn yep. finish yes i I can't say enough about how much I I just love and cherish the original animated series. So for that reason, I went into this, you know, the M not M Night Shyamalan disaster aside, I went into this just thinking at best this could be a nice like nod to the original source material that will never even sniff the quality mm-hmm. of the original. I that was the best case scenario. And at worst, it would just be a eight episode M night Shyamalan esque thing. And where I think we landed through two episodes is somewhere in the middle of that. It's fine. I don't think the writing is doing them any favors. I don't absolutely hate it. And I'm expecting it to kind of settle into itself as we Mm -hmm. get towards the middle and the late part of the season. But my entire take on this live action is it's just unnecessary. I think they're cramming it down our, our throats and nobody's really asking for it. It's just a studio that knows that people will watch it if they make it. Mm-hmm. So they made it and it, it, I don't know. It's just okay. And, and through two episodes, it's, it's fallen a little flat for me, which was we'll, expected. We'll just have to see by the, I, I feel like truly until we get an ending, there's no way for us to to know truly if this was a success or not. Definitely. Yeah. B times. I think that was well said. I feel like I share pretty much everything you said. It, it felt like the phrase I was floating around as I was thinking is just, this feels like something that should have just like stayed in the drafts mm-hmm. like this. Like no one really needed the show to be made. It, it just feels like, I'm watching it and I'm, you know, I'm enjoying parts. It's like, okay, like waiting for this character to come in and like someone like Suki was cool. Like it was like, okay, like we know that she's coming. I thought she was a good character in this in episode two. And it's like, okay. And things like that are cool, but it just feels like, like, why would I watch this when I could just watch the the animated thing I, I understand the idea like the creative idea of being like let's make it more like serious slash mature and it's just like does i don't know for me personally i don't care about a more mature avatar story mm-hmm. yeah it's just and, and something that i had said to yesterday when dave and i were talking off the podcast is i i almost feel like if I if I didn't know anything about the original, like if I thought that this live action show was pure original content, not a remake of something, I think I would enjoy it more. Yeah, because like the world concepts are cool and all that kind of stuff. And I wouldn't have like this comparison to something else. It would be its own thing. And I think I would enjoy it a lot more. But mm-hmm. it just you can't help but compare it. That being said, I, I think I have been enjoying it more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I mean. I guess like about a year ago, if you asked me going into this, you know, I would definitely not have been excited. Live actions are always trash. But in the past year alone, live action adaptations have just, especially through Netflix, have done really well, specifically going to UU and um, I mean, Alice Borderlands kind of a little stretch and then One Piece, of course. Um, But I agree with you. Like if maybe if it was like a different story, like I know they announced this animated movie that's going to come out and Aang and all of them are going to be in their 20s and 30s. If they had decided to take that as a live action route, I think that would be fine. Um, 
that would have been cool. Yeah, because Money. then it's cool like stretching it, but yeah, it would have been more interesting. It's just a, like it's just exactly what you were saying, Kyle. It's just like why watch this when there's just the original to come out? Like if it was new content, it would it would be so much better, and I think it would get a lot of people more excited rather than just like oh we're about to watch like a, a worse variation of the original. Yeah, because it's like like Iro. It's like okay unbelievably beloved character and now this man whose name i forget has to come in and play that character and it's just no one is gonna think it's the same and it doesn't need to be the same but it needs to be good and it's just such a hard kind of magic and essence to capture continually over all these characters all these scenes these locations these moments it's just it's just too it seems like too tall of a task mm -hmm. i also think just in the confines of an eight episode live action when you're trying to adapt, I think it was an 18 episode season one, you can't really pay enough attention and time and care with a lot of these storylines. For instance, I think they were in the Southern Air Temples for all of five minutes of scream time. And that was a, a full episode. episode yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it was very emotional and heart wrenching. And you really got to you know, take some time with Ang feeling those feelings. And in this, just the pacing is at a breakneck speed. I just think we're trying so hard to just get through it all that it's not really allowing us to pay enough attention to detail for, for every unique little thing. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. They're just um, losing some of the charm and the charm. Yeah. And the charm is what made it. The charm yeah. is really what made it. With that all being said, though, we will have some positive things to say. Don't oh, worry. Yeah. Um, but for these recordings specifically, our discussions are going to be a little bit different than our stereotypical recordings. We're kind of just kind of talk about big bucket uh, groupings rather than just scene by scene. So specifically for this first bucket that we're going to talk about, um, it's just going to be all of the scenes that transpired 100 years ago. So I'm not going to list everything, but we can talk about the battle, Sozin's introduction, the plan. Ang, Monkeyatsu, and the uh, extinction of the airbenders. If uh, whoever wants to go first in any order, go ahead. This was a change that I thought was good. Like starting the story a hundred years ago, I thought the opening scene with the airbenders, I mean, I'm sorry, with the earthbenders was sick. I thought the earthbending looked cool. I really liked the way he was like punching the ground and almost unlocking the earth. And then it was, you know, changing and he was terraforming things. I thought all of that was really cool. It, it's just, I don't know. It, it, I think the biggest thing for me in all these scenes was that Gyatso felt a little different with the way he went out and all that kind of stuff would be my only complaint. But I was genuinely positively surprised when I watched the first 20 minutes. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think this was a change that added something to the original story. You know, we never got to see what is the genocide, essentially, of the airbenders. We never really saw that on screen. But I think that was a valuable use of the first 15 minutes, you know, establish these firebenders. And we're getting it through the POV of, of Fire Lord Sozin at the time. They are bad dudes. I did like the respect that he showed Gyatso. They had that line that just said on any other day you guys probably would have prevailed but not today with the comet mm -hmm. that was cool and i 
really, I think it's we we didn't get to see a lot of that Airbender Society in the animated series, so it, it was nice to kind of see that part of the story here. And that's kind of a, a theme for me throughout the two episodes. You know, I actually did not hate kind of the the small narrative changes that they made for the live action. For me, I kind of appreciate that they wanted this to be its own distinct thing from the animated series, and they made some decisions about the story that that made it appear just that yeah totally with you guys on everything you said i thought the earth bending fire bending battle at the beginning was was honestly really well done Pro- met my standards i would say everything looked yeah. good it's going to take a little bit of time obviously with things like that to get used to from getting it from animated to live action but earth bending battle was sick but yeah the extinction of the airbenders i was honestly very happy that we got that because as much as like I know what's going to happen, but even during the scene, I'm watching it and like my heart is racing. I'm like, I really don't want to see this air temple fall at all. This is just so uncharacteristic of like a kid's show. And the one thing that we on, uh, we did touch a little bit on in the intro is the the fact that, you know, the stakes are high in the live action here. Like we see not that they weren't high in the animated show, like there were implied deaths in the in the show, but we never got to see them on camera, especially with you know, burning alive. That's something that's gruesome and horrifying to watch. And they, I think putting that in here is a good take. And that's always going to be something I like in live action adaptations. It's just how much they can push that a little bit. Um, so I have no complaints there at all. The maybe one complaint that I had in terms of the air temple was Ang in the beginning, just like soaring through the skies that lying. Yeah. I'm not, which is, he he wasn't flying because the glider at the episode one proves that he does require the glider to fly. But I'm watching it. And I'm like, this guy is not gliding like to the ground. He is legitimately flying like how uh, he, the guy was Peter Pan. Well, I was. Gonna it say was the guy very Peter Pan. Thank Cora. you. I thought yeah. I was thinking. I was thinking the guy from Cora. But yes, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. That was <laughs> a little. That was shocking. I would think for sure, but. I don't know. For me, I, I think was I was trying to focus immediately on like the relationships between the characters mm-hmm. and how they felt. So I feel like that is ultimately, I think, the biggest thing that needs to translate. Because like B. Tom said, you need to make some narrative changes. Mm-hmm. But as long as the relationships between the characters are kind of true to where they should be, I think that's kind of where the foundation should start. And I think the relationship between Aang and Monk Yatso was good. I thought it was mm-hmm. like borderline perfect. And Gatsu feels like this kind of goofy, happy-go-lucky like guy. Gatsu, to be honest, in the live yeah. action. I'm yeah. And, I, and the, what I had said earlier about like my one complaint, it's just that the the scene where Aang finds his body in the cartoon is so good. Like what it implies that he like took on all of those firebenders and all that kind of stuff. And that is just for me, like iconic. So it was like a little disappointing to see him go out the way he went out type of deal. But mm-hmm. I can see the way they like why they changed it type. Of, I mean, it is kind of cool that to see like they don't really imply it so much. But Monk Yatso in the cartoon is implied that he's pretty much like the strongest airbender. I think it was. I think it was- what I was going to say on top of that is I think it, they did a good enough job because Sozin did show up and was like, Gyatso, like, that's a real one. It's just any other day of the year or, you know, yeah. like, you probably would have held your own, but not today. And so I think that was enough for me personally. But I, I totally get what you're saying. Like, Gyatso was supposed to be the one, you know, like yeah. he is the defender. I think it's fair to say on paper, Gyatso versus Sozin 
that's a cool matchup for sure. Yeah. It's just I think I personally have like an emotional connection to like just that scene of him in the room with all of the firebenders that he took out. Yeah, I was, was at like, least hoping what that a some of the cool last stand type of I deal. I was hoping but... that some of the firebenders would like some of their armor, you know, would at least be like there implying that he took down a few of them too but it was just mm-hmm. his body i don't think he took down any of them and it's like it also kind of plays in i guess to the air nomad style yeah I, it but overall honestly like you guys said first 20 minutes i thought were really well done beside yeah. the whole ang flying portion of mm-hmm. everything yeah the only other actually maybe one other complaint i had is and this might again just might be due to like the time constraints that we're saying that you're trying to fit 18 episodes into you know 12 episodes season whatever um it felt like when Ang rushed off from the air temple, like he does that in the animated show, obviously, like we know that's what happens, but I, I don't know. I felt like a little, a little rush that he was just like, he's kind of like at the air temple and he's like thinking, he's like, all right, Appa, like, let's just, let's just peace and go on like a little joy ride. And I think it was maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just remembering it a little bit differently, but I felt like that was a little bit like, I get where he's coming from that. He's just been done this huge burden of becoming the avatar and like he wants to go think on it but it felt like a little weird that he would still just straight up leave the air temple well they they did condense this in the animated series there are two separate flashbacks he doesn't run away because he learns about he's the avatar in a different flashback later on he already knows he's the avatar but they're going to send him away because gyatso isn't yeah it's like spread out train so hard Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think that's just the constraints of the live action eight episodes. Yeah, that's, I think, my biggest worry. It's an example of my biggest worry. This is a problem that Luke and I talked about with the Percy Jackson story is that there's a there's a potential where they have like these bullets where it's like we need to do these and then filling in between those of how we get to those things and how those things come about is where I feel like a lot of times things fall flat. Percy Jackson kind of felt like it was like, okay, like we're going A to B to C to D to E, and we're just like hitting all of these beats, and it's like yeah. the glue gray area up in the middle wasn't as fleshed out as we wanted it to be. I think that's kind of my biggest worry, is how we're getting from these big story beats, mm-hmm. and then the reasoning of what's pushing us there. It, obviously, they changed some things, like just to jump very quickly to episode two, where when they go to Kyoshi Island, it's obviously different than it is in the cartoon and it's more serious and things like that. So that's, I didn't notice it so much in this scene. Honestly, what I noticed from this scene was that I thought it looked fucking cool. The live action of him flying on Appa, like in the storm and like Mm -hmm. the huge wave. Like I thought that looked really cool. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. The avatar state has been looking clean too. And I like actually Mm -hmm. the intricacy to the markings. Like they're not, it's not just like a blue arrow. There is like a little bit of Mm -hmm. um, like pattern to the designs in the arrow, which I like. And I think that was actually something that they took away. Maybe like like the one thing that they took away from the M. Night Shyamalan movie. I think it was the same for Ang in that movie. <laughs> it was um, so good to hear just Ang. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, really step was. one. Yeah. Step one. Cleared it. Cleared it. Already better. <laughs> um, but the next oh, bucket gosh. we'll get into is just the Water Tribe. So specifically Wolf's Cove, which was new for us, I think. I don't think we'd ever got that reference in the, the animated show. No. So just a okay. little bit of world building fine i didn't know um, if that was something i had forgotten or not yeah no i had to literally go back and make sure and it was just like they are from the southern water tribe not wolf's cove or whatever you know yeah. but um so here we can just talk about the introduction to Sokka and katara um zuko as well um the firebenders landing on the cove 
and then we'll cover all all those buckets and then we'll move on to ang being captured but for now just the introduction of those three characters and kind of the the fight on wolf's cove <laughs> I think it looks really good. I, I'm not sure how deep I want to get into Sokka. I think one of the big things that came out is the quote that they were going to take away a lot of the misogynistic undertones that Sokka has. And I do think that that, that detracts from the character for me because he was a very flawed young leader coming into his own and the misogyny was a part of it. He was saying, oh, Katara, you know, you shouldn't be waterbending, which they do still hit. But he emphasizes just the danger of waterbending with the current climate of the world. It could be a danger because firebenders could take her away. In the animated series, he goes a step further and says, you should be like helping with the knitting in the village. And that gives <laughs> like a kind of a, a funny, like brotherly sister thing. And guitar can play off that and get like heated at him. And that actually winds up having her free Ang from the ice. But without that, you know, he's not very flawed. He just kind of is this young, serious guy. Mm-hmm. The only thing he's bring, bringing to the table is that he wants to be a leader and a warrior. And that makes him very one dimensional. And as we've already said, they took away a little bit of the charm with the comedic beats just because I don't think they have enough time to fit in that kind yeah. of dialogue. So in the animated series, we have this young, goofy, misogynistic leader or you know, fledgling leader. But in this, we just have this young person trying to prove he's a warrior. And that makes him very one dimensional, which is, it's just a shame to me, but Mm. he's good. I don't know. He looks like Sokka. He sure does look. (laughs) He looks like Sokka. You're absolutely right. B-Toms. I'm not. Yeah, go ahead. I do just want to say the acting, I think has been very good. I want to emphasize. I just don't think they have the dialogue that they can work with. I mean, it's, it's just very one dimensional stuff. It's surface level. I I couldn't tell you how many times Katara had to say that Ang is giving them hope. It was probably like five (laughs) times. It's just like they are spoon feeding us exposition. And I was hoping for writing that was a little bit deeper than that and wouldn't just lead us directly to the plot points that we're supposed to be hitting, but they are. And it's, it's a shame, but the acting has been good. Yeah, I, I think that starting with the most basic, my eyes, I think Sokka and Katara look great. Mm-hmm. I think the characters look really yeah. good, but I would agree, B-Toms. I think for sure for me, when I was first watching, I thought that the acting was just flat. But I think that your point about the actual writing is what makes it flat. It just, I don't know, it feels very, I don't want to use the word flat again, but it's just kind of just like I say thing you respond to thing I say mm-hmm. type of deal. I don't know. I don't really know the right way to describe it, but yeah, I just, and I, there's obviously the time constraints, of the live action, but also the, they can't do every joke from yeah. the cartoon and they don't have the sound design from the cartoon. There's so many good, funny sound design things where like Sokka gets shocked by something and his eyes get big and blink and it's like blink, blink, like they have the sound yeah. and that adds to the the charm and the funniness. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm hoping as a character, as we get into more situations, he grows on me. But I think for now, I don't know. I just, I don't want to say it a ton of times, but it's just not the same. It's just mm. not there for me. I'm I'm not 
against anything that you guys have said so far. I, and especially with live actions, like the side characters to me, you know, they can, they can be done pretty easily. It feels like there's a lot of pressure when it comes to the main characters. Like when you come, it, it takes me so much to get used to like our main character. Ang. like, I don't think they're doing a bad job. It's just, it's different. And it's just so hard. I have these expectations of the main characters, like our main trio and one, the acting's already going to be tough because it's not animated, like Kyle was saying, with all like the extra sounds that they can do and just like the visualizations that they can emphasize to make things funnier. But it's it's just hard with what they're being dealt with. And I'm not gonna like hate on anybody's acting here. I think they're doing the best with what they got. Of the trio, I would say Sock is probably the best still for me. I'm not totally quite sold on Aang yet. Granted, he does feel like a 12-year-old. Like yeah, that's why I think for like me, where yeah. I would almost say that he feels like the best representation. And that's probably why I'm not like sold. Like he's this bright eyed 12 year old and it's like, I- I'm not too keen <laughs> on it, but I did look up Sokka's actor is 21 in real life. And I believe Katara's is 17 and they are playing 15 and 14 year old respectively. So I guess. Sokka's actor is the oldest, so I guess he has a little bit more acting chops and is a bit more experienced How old is in that regard. actor, by the way? I actually didn't I ever did look not that look that one up. Because he's so a know. little small guy. Little yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, the other thing, too, that, that, Alki, that Alki brought up that I now agree with, especially after watching the second episode, it does seem like they're still trying to find like that chemistry between all three of them. Yeah. Obviously... They really have just met Aang, so that makes some sense. But also, I just think as them as actors, the three of them are still finding this like triple threat trio type of vibe that we know that they had in the in the cartoon show. So maybe it will get better as the season goes on. Just for now, it does feel like it's not fully there. Aang's actor is 14 years old. Yeah, okay. that feels about right mm-hmm. um but let's flip this over to the other side let's get uh let's talk about zuko here because for me i'm gonna be honest i think zuko was absolutely perfect i'm not gonna lie i thought one from just the mannerisms but two like his voice honestly even sounds like zuko a little bit and i thought he was unbelievable in first episode second episode he has been the most dead-on character for me and i have been anytime he's been on screen i've been so excited um, I'll kind of agree with Kyle that Iroh, maybe not so much. Again, that's a beloved character. So uh, the expectations are hard and the expectations were high for Zuko. Don't get me wrong, but this actor has crushed it. I think anytime Zuko's on the screen, I have just been like totally paying attention. I'm willing to listen. I always knew that Iroh and Sokka were going to suffer the most from I, yeah. I expected they were going to have to lose a lot of the comedy that was from the original. And I knew Iroh and Sokka would suffer from that. And like Kyle said, Iroh is like on a pedestal is one of the most beloved animated characters. His voice actor passed away while they were still coming out with the animated series. So people just love that performance as a whole. And this guy, I actually really like the actor in general. He's been in a few things. He's in The Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. He's doing a good job, but they don't give him too much to work with again. I think he looks good. 
But Dave, like you said, Zuko is probably my favorite of our four main characters in terms of of casting. I think he's got the the moody teenager beats, but also he does a really good job in scenes with kind of facial expressions. Mm -hmm. He looks nervous, too, when you can tell he's losing his grip on whatever situation he's being dealt with. So, yeah, I think he gave a pretty strong performance through the first two episodes. I won't add a ton. I'll just complete the chorus of praise for Zuko. I think for sure I agree that he's been my favorite representation. Yeah, and then we could just jump right into the uh, the fight of Zuko landing. He's like, I am Prince Zuko, son of Fire Lord. <laughs> I, I thought that scene was, again, it's, yeah. I hear it in his voice. It was so good. Um, but the fight honestly was legit to me. I, the, the highlight for me was easily Zuko's kicking. Like, I think Aang knocks everybody to the ground. And Zuko's like from the ground looking up. He's like, no way. And he does that fucking the iconic spiral kick and he's yeah. dishing out the fire. I was like, that was hot. That was definitely hot for for right there. But overall thoughts, this was I guess uh we still we still haven't really seen the full effects of water bending, but we get a little bit more air here and some fire bending as well. Yeah. And this is, I think, a good opportunity to discuss where there's a difference here in how this goes down. There's no otter penguins, yeah. which is perfectly fine. Like, that's <laughs> fine to have a type of change. You know, Aang earlier left in the cartoon. Rather, he leaves kind of under his own volition. Him and Appa head out. And then he slides back on the otter penguin. I thought this was a perfect way to change it and make it more reasonable for the live action. Yeah. The movie, I thought was like, I, I saw it on my timeline, I think yesterday of the movie scene of this. And it's just absurd <laughs> to like what happens here. So I was like, okay, this is perfectly fine. I just yeah. wanted to highlight like this is, there's a change here where like, it doesn't need to be one-to-one -to, -one to still be good. And this mm -hmm. was an example of that. And I think the, by the kids and the other person who's now in charge, now that Sokka left, I think it gives a little more, um, like safety for Sokka in the sense that, okay, these guys kind of did some work against Zuko and these firebenders. Like the village is still in somewhat good hands. Like if, as long as there's no, you know, airships of firebenders coming, like the village is in yeah. good hands. Yeah. Yeah. This was also before we move on, I assume to the last bucket is an issue that I had. So Grand Grand seems to be the one that does like the, like the hundred years past. Yeah, like that thing. And that just was like, oh man. <laughs> like this totally is just cheesy. Totally. Yeah, it's just not it. It's just not <laughs> it. I was I was very shocked that they didn't just leave that as the intro verbatim. Oh, speaking they of, we're gonna talk about very that too. weird CGI or I didn't mind the intro, to be honest. I did not. I mean, of course, the I hundred the years monologue. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. And that the monologue. belongs to Katara. That is yeah. hers and nobody else's. Yes. I guess they kept it in the family. But yeah, I will that say, felt though, a little forced. I will say, though, the intro, it did sound like they had, like, the was it not the original Katara voice actress who did, did the intro again? Like, no clue. It sounded the same to me, so I just thought that was a good homage to the original series that they kept at least the intro voice actor the same. So, um, I guess one complaint I did actually have before moving on, if you want to say something, Kyle, go ahead. No, that that almost just like makes it worse. I guess yeah, <laughs> that maybe, if yeah. if they had her right there, <laughs> then yeah, they true, didn't just true. Do it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe they thought it would be too on the nose, but yeah. I don't know. It seems like there's the a that's the that's an okay time to do a one to one. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. Um, 
the one thing that I just kind of felt like, I guess, again, just to add to the the rushed aspect of things is like Katara's trust in Aang, like some of the scenes that we get missed in these these early episodes, like they board that fire, uh, that Fire Nation ship that they see in the distance. And, mm-hmm. you know, Aang actually has the opportunity to save Katara a couple of times, really develop that trust. Whereas here she wakes him up and then it's just like immediately just only peaked in the interest that he's an airbender. It's not like she has this full on trust in him. I mean, obviously, I guess, you know, she can kind of tell, but you know, I'm just saying that the skip scenes for me in the, in these moments made it just feel like the, the relationship between Katara and Ang at this point was a little bit rushed. She was just immediately glowy eyed and like ready to just throw herself at Ang. That I will. That's kind of how it was in the animated series. And grand grand actually has to tell Katara, don't put all of your faith in this mm-hmm. boy. And I know okay. I said, how many times does Katara have to say hope? But that actually was a major plot point in the beginning. Katara's like, nothing ever happens here. And now this incredible master airbender comes into our lives. And you guys are telling me not to get carried away with it. So Katara does kind of dive head first into him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think it's because we know the original material. It feels implied to me that she understands that he can all he's also a waterbender in the sense that he's the avatar type of deal. So that's kind of the way I was thinking of she's also thinking that way. They talk about it very slightly in episode two. She brings it up, I think, for the first time in the whole show. It doesn't go the way she wants it to, but that's also kind of what I was thinking is that because in the cartoon, he like teaches her very a little bit about bending where he's like, the monks taught me about this. And she like tries to do it with the water bending. And then she's like really into it after that type of deal. Yeah. But I, I assume a scene like that will maybe come. But she's already feels pretty good at water bending in the show, kind of. So, yeah, she's not, I think, as incompetent as she was in like the actual show. But we can move on to this final bucket for episode. Well, I guess. Final main bucket of episode one with being uh, Aang's capture. We can just talk about the conversations that Aang and Iroh have. Uh, also talk about Aang's escape, really. Those are the, the two main things. But I will say, again, we've talked enough about Iroh and how we feel about it. But I will say this conversation kind of felt really... I really like this conversation, to be honest. Because you know right off the bat, you can kind of tell in his voice that he's he's giving this pitch, you know, Oh, the fire nation, you know, we're doing this for peace, but like, you can still kind of hear it in his throat that he doesn't fully believe in the cause. And Ang obviously detects that right away. And the one part that I had to write down was just like, I like, Ang calls him out and he doesn't answer, but Iroh just walks away and he says, I look forward to the many conversations we'll have in the future. And I'm just like, boy, you have no idea how many (laughs) fucking great conversations you guys are going to have in the future. So, Touching moment, I think, between these two characters. Probably the the, hi- the highlight of Iroh's performance so far for me. For sure. For sure. But it's also, this feels like the perfect example for me of, I think I would have enjoyed this more if I had no recollection or, like, knowledge of the original. Like, this, yes, to me, was pure so. original mm-hmm. content, and you, like, you were getting this first inkling of, all right, this older guy, there's something else to him. I think I would be like, oh, okay, I'm going to watch out for that. Like, that's very yeah. interesting versus yeah. me thinking like, okay, how does this guy sound versus old Iroh, like or original Iroh, <laughs> like all that kind of stuff. That's not the right takeaway, but that's just, it felt inevitable for me to think in this scene. But I did like that they introduced him that way in this scene because mm-hmm. that's, I mean, he's the guy. Yeah. 
I always like the Jasmine tea references. Those I will say are, are still pretty funny. <laughs> the Jasmine tea is good. Um, I thought the airbending to steal the keys was pretty cool. I think Alki, when we were watching together, was just like, oh, he wouldn't be able to do that. And I was like, eh, he probably would be able to do that. Just like summon a little vortex and just get the keys off. So I didn't have any complaints about that. But the main thing here for me was I'm just I was so happy to see the glider. Thank God it's not just Ang flying around without his glider, because yeah. that would have been such a devastating blow to the show if that was the case. So that was. Oh, and I'm also upset that. I'm pretty sure in the animated show, he goes into the Avatar state here and kind of mm -hmm. like water bends the shit out of everybody. Oh, wait, yeah, yeah. So, uh, not yeah, he calls this like an avalanche. And yeah. So they just have him fly away and him flying with the glider looks really cool. Looks and they had him like dip along the water. Yeah, like too. The that show, was cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that I hated most was. Zuko throws one singular fireball that drills him while he's gliding <laughs> all the way around. How is that even possible? <laughs> and then he has another precision fireball that would have hit Appa mm -hmm. if not for Katara's kind of water bending, which mm -hmm. that water bending, I think she just like summoned a big column of water, which seems a little bit past her pay grade <laughs> past her pay grade for yeah. this point. And I, I won't say she was completely incompetent in terms of water bending at this point in the animated series, because she did like incapacitate three fire benders <laughs> by doing the ice. <laughs> That's well, a great scene because she freezes Sokka first and he just goes, oh, Katara! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she doesn't know what she's doing. So she yeah. freezes Sokka and then she just does a 180 and does the same movement. <laughs> her eyes are closed, yeah. but she's like, I bet this will work. I it's know exactly what you're really talking about. really tinkering with her powers. And I, I they kind of showed that same thing. She didn't mean to do exactly that she just flung her arms and mm -hmm. with intent to save them but it, it the bending i always knew was gonna look clunky and i guess what i'm trying to emphasize is is some of it really does still look clunky to me but so far fireballs come on to me it seems okay the fireballs for the fire bending not crazy about the kicks and stuff though like when they're actually fluidly motioning the punching and kicking of fire i think it looks good but agreed the fireballs are a little weird to me water bending water bending seems to be the clunkiest so far it just feels like magic almost it doesn't feel like actual bending i don't know how to describe it but again we haven't really seen a fully fleshed water bender master yet so i'll, I'll leave it to the benefit of the doubt um yeah it's also interesting too and thinking of her doing that bending and then when we get to the air temple she says to Sokka, like, I couldn't bend enough water to fill a thimble before he came. And it's mm -hmm. kind of, she can now do that, but we haven't seen why she can, can do, do that. that so much. Of, I mean, maybe it's the hope inside of her <laughs> that Aang is around. Type it was of deal, those but... words that, just the simple, like, yeah. it was the words that Aang said. It was just, you know, balance and all this, finding it within yourself. Yeah. And that, uh, I that apparently it, made her become that much better, so. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they're obviously going to talk a ton more about her waterbending journey and her and Aang's waterbending journey, hopefully together. together. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, but we'll see. All right. And then we can talk about, I'll say it, I'll say infamous air temple scene here. Um, personally, it was just quick. I mean, did not really feel as sentimental as it did in the animated show. Um, this scene was, it was meh. For me, I don't really have many things to say besides that. I will say in the animated show, though, it's a very fleshed out scene mm -hmm. that we see Aang seeing what the wreckage now is. And then we get a few flashbacks. I feel like 
they they already captured the emotional of the loss of the airbenders through the opening scene yeah. of this episode. So they kind of already got that out of the way, which allowed them to kind of breeze through this. But I was watching this episode with my roommate who had already watched it. And I looked up at him as we were ending the episode, like, oh man, they're not going to do like the avatar room where like Mm -hmm. we see all the statues because that was just really, that's where it gets announced. Like it's, that's where we get all the perspectives of the different nations of like the avatar has returned. Yeah. And the cycle too. They, they talk about the actual cycle. Yeah which we'll get to it more when we start talking episode two. It does seem like they are replacing Roku's role in the story with Avatar Kiyoshi, which I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I'm kind of okay with because it's like I said earlier, making the live action a little bit distinct and you can definitely get the same information through the voice of Avatar Kiyoshi. Hmm. But I love Roku, man. Yeah. I see a lot of yeah. too. I but also, I mean, want to see it all. Nah, I feel like that's, for me, per- we'll see how it continues. It probably will just be a Kiyoshi Island thing because they're on Kiyoshi Island. But yeah, I think so. Him and Roku have to have that relationship, not only because sure. it's he's the last avatar or like the latest avatar, however you yeah, want to say Yeah, the prior one, yeah. The prior yeah. avatar. It just means obviously so much that he is was a firebender, a member of the Fire Nation. He was Sozin's best friend. Some people would like to say lover type of deal. <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> that's just relationship has to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We shall see when that starts to come in. But yeah, I, I don't really have a ton to add about the, the Air Temple itself. Um, yeah. 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 That's really- uh, looked great. Yeah, that'll be That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I like Momo did look good. I was actually he he popped on the screen. I was like, "All right, let's go. We got the, the <laughs> final member, baby." It was really hype. I was doing some fist pumps, but we can now work our way into episode 2, which I find I feel like will be a lot quicker of a discussion now that we've got most mm-hmm. of our just main complaints and problems out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um just straight up for me, not as good as the first, really. Um so we're just going to have kind of three buckets here. And we'll get into this first one. It's just going to be the arrival of uh, our squad on Kiyoshi. So my first note was the scenery is beautiful. Um, so I think we saw even before they arrive on Kiyoshi, maybe it was like the air temple, like them leaving the air temple, like in the background. And it's just it looks so good. Like it does make me want to just yeah. visit these places. It looks incredible. Um, but other than that, we can just go right into the uh, the introduction of Suki um, the elderly lady that's kind of a biatch and then the the relationship between Suki Saka and kind she of she was not a biatch, but okay. <laughs> she was a protector. It's, you know, it's very funny like get out of here. And I'm like, come on, let her Kyle, <laughs> you'll have to be the deciding vote because I actually thought episode two was a little bit better than episode one. And I think really? that's because of the nature of episode one had to get through so much exposition and that lended to some of the cringy dialogue, which I didn't notice as much in episode two, but episode two seemed to stray a little bit more from the source material. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah, interesting. That's, that's all I, kinda, I got. I feel like I have a thought that's, Episode one, you're going in and it's like, okay, what the fuck is this going to be? And so you're thinking of like every little thing as you see a scene. It's like, okay, like, what does this look like? How does it relate to the original? And I think by the time you get to episode two, you're kind of your expectations have are starting to get more calibrated in that sense. So I think with that perspective, I 
probably liked episode two better, but also like not a a ton does happen, but it doesn't feel like a ton happens. I feel like nothing happens. That was like my <laughs> thing. It's like I feel like episode yeah. one we had so much good stuff, and then two, it's just. I think it's for tough. me, I'm going to be honest. The Suki and Sokka relationship was not doing it for me in this. To be honest. Well- that's because they don't make him misogynistic right. and calling right. out her dance lessons and stuff. It really <laughs> is just like young woman is attracted to this strapping yeah. young man in town and none of like it's just a 100% blah pancake it was, of a young romance. It was literally two cavemen like meeting and they look they lock eyes and it's just like love at first sight. I'm like Come on. And I was actually a little worried for Suki's character at first because they they made her like mute. Like she didn't have a fucking line for so long into the episode. I was so worried that she was just going to be this nervous, didn't want to talk to Sokka kind of character. Finally opens up when I think Sokka arrives for the da- quote unquote dance lesson, as the animated show would put it. But yeah, I was a little worried. She was not speaking full sentences. And I'm just like, what is in the scene where Sokka has his shirt off and she like is looking at him blatantly just checking him out. It's like, come on, what do we do? I don't know. If I'm honest, I think I liked that they went into this mindset of like she feels sheltered on this island. You know, like she knows she has a duty to be a Kyoshi warrior. Yeah, they, I did like I think it was I think it was two. interesting. Yeah, that they were getting into this idea that she is this young woman still and she has you know, typical young woman desire. She, you know, she likes cute boys. Like maybe she wants to see the world and she still has this duty to the island. And I think it contrasted well with Sokka and that he is like, I'm a leader too. And, but I'm not in my village. And then it was kind of funny when he's like, how's it go again? Katara (laughs) type of deal. And that was kind of the original show charm type of deal. But I agree that the, it, and this sounds weird to say and out of context is terrible, but I do miss the fucking misogynistic sexist part yeah. of Sokka just in the development of of their early relationship. I think it's played a big role. Like him meeting Suki here was probably the first growth step in his becoming less yeah. misogynistic. Like they could have literally had him be misogynistic for two one episode, meet Suki, and then it's like, okay, let's let's reel it back. But Netflix is soft, so Yeah, I don't know. And I'll, I will say she feels like more of a character after this episode than she did after the one episode we get in the cartoon as in more of like a deeper, like more dimensional. Yeah. I would agree with that. She took off the makeup and I was like, wow, this, I can see what Sokka's looking at. (laughs) I can see what he's seeing. She was, she was definitely beautiful. Um, she her yeah. actor is 24 years old. So I think she is like the biggest discrepancy between her real character Character, who was supposed to be 15 but but also a 15 year old warrior might look a little bit more mature than just an average 15 year old she has a lot of responsibility yeah i mean i thought it was kind of funny that they had her wipe off her makeup for the entire second half of the episode because dave i think you're right it's just the production team being like now show up how beautiful this girl is take (laughs) off the makeup yeah yeah. but (laughs) Because it is the, was, the 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 makeup is iconic when they're fighting Zuko yeah. at the end. Yeah, looks cool. I would say I I was pretty happy with how she was portrayed. Kyle, I th- I think you're right. A lot of what they did did kind of make her feel like more of an important, um, conventional character, yeah. like a Vivi. 
from One Piece. Yeah. No, no, I think, less like, so like a Vivi than One Piece. Yeah, her having like the ear of the leader of the island, I thought was much more explicit here. It was a, it's a man in the show. It is, which which I think is a positive change. It makes way more sense that it would be a woman, woman yeah, because there are a society of women warriors. Avatar Kyoshi obviously was a very strong willed woman that was like you know represented justice and things like that. So it does make sense that it would be a woman. I thought that was a good change. The Kyoshi warriors looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Their uniforms were great. The makeup was on point, and the golden fans, like my favorite weapon in all of Avatar, looked sweet. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I felt so stupid when I think it was maybe even episode one that they mentioned Kyoshi was an earthbender. Did like you guys knew that, right? Like, (laughs) I just I I was mind blown because like, I I guess I associate Kyoshi with the fans and they're always airbending with the fans. It's fair. So it's just a green. Yeah, they said in episode one, she's like, oh, we had prior to you, there was Kyoshi, the earthbender, Roku, the firebender. I'm like, Kyoshi, the earthbender? What the fuck? But it does make sense. I mean, Kyoshi, I think Kyoshi uh, is like a, a province of the Earth Kingdom, I'm pretty sure. So it, it does yeah. make sense. Yeah. I mean, it used to be part of the Earth Kingdom as I was a, just like landmass until she split it into an island. I just felt by so earthbending. St- <laughs> I just felt so stupid. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they changed Kyoshi from an airbender to an earthbender. I looked it up and I was like, I'm dead wrong here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, then we could just quickly talk about the uh, introduction of Zhao. Zhao. <laughs> yeah we'll get there um and uh, the word of the avatar spreading so we get zhao and really not much to talk about if you guys want to bring up his character and how you think he will be going forward not like i don't have a ton to say i think about them at the what are they well i forget what um iroh calls it but like the headquarters of the southern the port, yeah whatever that port army headquarters was whatever yeah. it may be thought they were trying really hard to give iroh that personality by like going around the food stands and Zuko's like very one track minded and Iroh's like, oh, you got to try this and oh, sticky rice and that kind of stuff. So I thought that like the efforts there to create that dynamic in their relationship. Because he does. And- he goes on a shopping spree. I mean, this is the pirate episode, which I'm honestly kind of like the pirates were cool. I mean, obviously, I, I can quickly think of them when I'm thinking of the anime, but Honestly, something that looking back, it could easily be cut. Like, I guess we. This is also where we can talk about the scroll itself. So Katara yeah. gets her hands on the scroll, which again she originally steals from the pirates in the animated show. But here it's his grand grand passing it on. I think that's totally fine. I think that's a completely valid point. Like there were water benders at the Southern Water Tribe for generations. Why wouldn't they have a scroll that would you know be have access to different techniques? So that I was totally fine with. And I was like, okay, we can skip the whole pirate thing. I was kind of a little excited. I was like, oh, we're on the port. We're going to get it. And then they didn't. But I think it was perfectly explained. The pirates are funny. Yeah, they yeah, are. Like, they what they say are. the price of two copper pieces. <laughs> 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 I like it. Momo has his rival too, the flying lizard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I will oh, say God. so. Commander Zhao at this point eventually becomes Admiral Zhao. He seemed less of a direct antagonist to Zuko. First time they were on the screen together, you could tell that this dude just loved pushing Zuko's buttons, yeah. reminding him of his dishonor. And was just really a jerk about it. And this one, he kind of seems to be showing some respect to what is still 
Prince Zuko. And you know, Iroh, Dragon of the West. That was a hot shout out right there. I looked over at my my roommate and was just like, Dragon of the West, cool nickname. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. But I will say, eventually, Zhao in the animated series recruits the pirates to yes. attempt to assassinate Zuko. So I'm wondering if that storyline will even still happen, if we will see like a pirate for a scene yeah. in that. But yeah, not much else to say about Zhao at this point. Although, he looks good. Yeah. He is very prevalent on Kyoshi Island in this episode of the live action, which he was not at all involved in Kyoshi yeah. in the animated series. And they didn't give us the firebending rhinoceroses. Oh, yeah. 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 Riding around on Zuko. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Big miss. Cool. Big miss there. <laughs> yeah. I thought the, I guess if we want to get to that point the the change of Zhao going to Kyoshi Island was mm. interesting definitely that was that was it's, interesting I mean that was the first scene that I think they used just to show us that Zhao is shifting his, his focus to trying to track down the avatar I guess they just wanted to establish that early on I kind of forget exactly when that happens in the animated series but I I was kind of okay with it and yeah, I don't know. I think you're right that it just kind of shows that Zhao is completely now also focused on the Avatar. Um, yeah, it was a little weird. I was, yeah, again, expecting Zuko on the rhinoceros. Yeah, yeah. Definitely it's just, that. it's enough. It's a big enough magnitude of a change where I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. And now I'm thinking about that it's a change and how do I feel about it? Probably versus just maybe enjoying what's on the screen. Before we get to the, uh, honestly, this was my, before we get to my favorite scene of probably both these episodes, I will say, um, let's talk about Ang's experience in the spirit realm with Kyoshi. Mm. Uh, my thoughts will just be really quickly that, uh, this scene felt like it was, uh, it was brought up mm -hmm. from the finale, like the finale of the animated show, Ang is going through all of the, the reincarnations of the avatar meeting them one by one talking about what he needs to do in order to beat the fire lord and it felt like that scene was what was supposed to happen like was happening here like his conversation with kiyoshi because in that scene and in this one she's talking about look you are a warrior there's no time for you to think about friends uh anything like you have to go out and beat the fire lord you're a warrior there's no time for that and i thought that was a pretty good inaccurate depiction but it just felt like that they were pulling that scene from the ending and bringing it here a little bit, which I'm not going to complain about. I think this was a decent converse, decent enough conversation for Ang to kind of get his rear end in motion. So yeah, it's kind of a reskin too of he does this with Roku in the temple, yes. where he it's the solstice and then the light hits and then he can speak with Roku and then I would say reskin of that scene specifically, specifically too because then Roku comes out of the temple yeah, the and, and starts over his messing body? up. The yes, she did all of in the, the sages the and stuff. Not in the anime. She she <laughs> takes over his body. She does take over his body yeah. in the trial scene where we find out about why Kyoshi Island is an island and and things That's like that. Season oh, two, yeah. yeah. So so here it's like, but oh, Roku does it season rides, one. He rides the the elephant eel or whatever the hell it is, and yeah, the unagi. Unagi, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. that's what it was, but. All right, I'm already jumping ahead. This was fucking badass, man. I was she honestly, was I had to watch this by myself, unfortunately, and I was just sitting down here, just 
let's fucking go. That was so sick. So she touches Aang. She's like, I'll help you out here. She takes over his body and immediately wipes the floor with Zuko. And I honestly love the the fire bending, like jet pack kind of shit that they do. They just blast yeah. off into space. Yeah. And then when when she lands that like Lydia's like Iron Man. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's literally like Iron Man landing on the battlefield. (laughs) I was fucking hyped because the explosion that caused was just immense. I was fuck. I was definitely like, okay, this is my favorite scene so far. She is just the Terminator. And watching this (laughs) scene, I was thinking to myself, we 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 probably should have reallocated resources towards an Avatar Kyoshi live action prequel rather than this whole (laughs) reboot nonsense. But it was really cool. Yeah, it looked spectacular. And I really, the whole fan base really loves Kyoshi. And a lot of people wanted a little bit more of her story. So it's nice that they kind of took that fan feedback and incorporated it into the narrative of the live action. I already said I'm a little bit concerned if that takes away from Roku's heavy hand in in the story as Ang's definitive avatar mentor, but so far, you know, it it's working for me. Yeah. I could easily see it just being a they're on Kyoshi Island, so he should interact with Kyoshi type of thing in the cartoon, it's very lighthearted for the most part when they're on the island. They really don't invoke Kiyoshi a ton mm-hmm. at this point. So I can s- totally see the logic behind having Katara and Aang in like the archives and they're reading about Kiyoshi's life and they're trying to find answers and things like that. I think this is a perfect time for the question to you two that I will also answer is that the creators told us before that they were going to take away a lot of Ang's kind of willy-nilly sidetrack mission type deal where like the show, they come here because he wants to ride the elephant koi. Mm-hmm. And in this, he wants to go here because of Avatar Kyoshi. Like he specifically says that like she was known as a master of the Avatar state. Like I, we should go there so I can learn more about the Avatar state. I'm just curious of what you guys think of that of that change. Well, yeah, that I think it was just a weird plot device. They actually said he was worried that he would hurt someone with yeah. the Avatar state, so he had to control it so as to protect Katara and Sokka. There was this very out of place flashback of him, you know, almost yeah. pushing his airbending gears off of a mountainside. I was like okay well this is a little wonky so wonky yeah, too because it wasn't even the avatar state that did that that was just him airbending yeah yeah so i don't know i think that's just one of those things it's it's a nature it just, of the constraints yeah. of the live action i'm gonna be honest i kind of like it um to, to be honest for me book one water of the animated show is my least favorite of this the series and Still Part, like a nine and a half out of ten. Yeah, now. no, no, no. I'm not saying, yeah, it's bad by any means. Still nine out of perfect horse. We're talking perfect horse here. Um perfect horse. But what I didn't like about season one was was probably exactly what we're talking about now, is because that we have this buildup of these side quests that is developing the relationships. Like I just want to be thrown into it, you know. And like I know shows obviously can't just like throw you into it, so they have to build the camaraderie and things like that. And when I always look back, I always think like season one is being like one of the more immature ones because it's, you know, them starting out as a group and they're doing all these side quests and Ang's not really fulfilling his mission 
So I'm going to be honest. I kind of like that they're just, they gave a, it was a good reason on why they need to get to Kyoshi. It wasn't like yeah, a side quest. They didn't make it feel like a side mm-hmm. quest. Like here's a, an actual reason to go to Kyoshi more so than what the animated version provided. And I'm, I'm totally fine with it. I, I think I take issue in just that it's a fundamental difference in Aang's character at this point in the journey. He's very quickly gone from, it seems like running away from the responsibilities to like, well, I'm yeah, on a just quest right into now. It, yeah. yeah. To like okay. be that. the best version of myself. And, and that's like we said, there's time constraints. The live action's a different story type of deal. I think I'm still at a point where I'm kind of clinging to the fun that we had and the whimsy of the early. And I just, the development I think feels like it's hot and fast, although we don't really see yeah. the aftermath of this scenario and Aang maybe talking more later on about how he feels about what Kyoshi said and all that kind of stuff. So we shall see. It just feels like right now, having watched two episodes, it's like, okay, we're already at a point where Aang's like. I get that. I, I didn't mature. even kind of think of it from that well, perspective. In quotes, I, mature, I like, but yeah, I like that perspective. I think you're, you're valid in those feelings. A hundred percent. There was that small scene where Katara is practicing waterbending and Aang kind of dismisses it. Oh, maybe I'll start later. And she kind of says, you know, you you got to actually start learning the elements. So that was a little bit of an acknowledgement that he's still uncomfortable with his role as the avatar. But actually, I that scene winds up with them splashing each other in the river. One thing I wanted to bring up in the animated series from the first time Katara and Aang are on screen, you get the feeling he has a little crush on her and oh, yeah. she is only seeing him as a little brother. I'm not getting all of that nuance to their relationship, which is a shame because I think that was immediately evident. Because, yeah, Aang in the animated show is fighting for his love. You know, every time he's mm-hmm. he's, he's going for the chase and Katara shutting him down and there are moments that lend herself to become more open to the idea of okay Aang's kind of good looking (laughs) I think it was like the fortune telling episode it's like you're gonna be be end up with a very powerful bender and oh that part's sick yeah I bring that up here in Kyoshi Island because in the animated series that was the first role reversal because he's getting fawned over by all the young girls from Mm -hmm. Kyoshi Island and Katara kind of gets a little bit jealous but none of that's really established here and I think that's just one of the things that they couldn't really spend a lot of time on unfortunately Mm -hmm. yeah maybe they'll do it next season almost I have seen some Mm like jumping ahead just like you know reading things on the internet of people saying and they said that it was kind of missing from this season kind of two sides of that coin some people said it doesn't really come off as great in the live action with people who we know are legitimately young yeah <laughs> type of thing i don't really know we'll have to see where it goes i yeah. i can't imagine that they don't if they get through the whole story that ang and katara don't have a romantic relationship that feels crazy mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah 100% so, We'll We'll just have to see. I'm looking ahead and there are some episodes from the series that if they include it, they couldn't avoid it like secret tunnel. Oh, they, they, I feel like they, even if that is considered (laughs) a side quest, there is no way they can't do it because 
it's like the cabbages thing. It's like yeah, I think you I would can't stop the podcast. The cabbages, you can't have the tunnel people. Not you know, like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all in the same. They have. Well, that's what that. we think. Hopefully, Netflix yeah. shares our opinions of what yeah. is crucially important and not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, again, I, I like that. Um, I'm I like the, the fact that Ang was able to transform into Kyoshi because that was something in the animated when he turns into Roku that I thought was really cool and wasn't really kind of explained enough. So, and I think I, I really like the idea that he was able to do it here, and they kind of explained, oh, it's because you were at like her temple specifically that you were able to kind of embody Kyoshi. And so I hope going forward, maybe not only do we see the Roku scene eventually too, but maybe we throw in a waterbender in there too, that he that overtakes him. I think that would be really cool too. Maybe at the Northern Water Tribe. Well, I guess that maybe then not so much because he does need to control the Avatar state by then. But yeah, I digress. Um, just the final scene here, the last bucket, if you even want to call it that, is just um Zhao letting the word out that the Avatar has returned and we get our first glimpse at Fire Lord Ozai. Just want to know. He was a, I thought he was pretty handsome, guys. I oh, thought he was pretty. I saw fantastic I, casting. I have seen yeah. the shirtless pictures and boy, was I hot and bothered. Those, Hell yeah. He <laughs> looked deadly, man. Dude, his face, his face looks carved out of stone. The only spoilers, if you even want to call it that, that I've seen are people just above and beyond, just like Fire Lord Ozai was amazing. Like, yeah. that's like, so. <laughs> I wouldn't hate it if Zuko and um, Ozai are like, like great in the show, like like head and shoulders above people. I think that would make the show pretty interesting. That would carry the show because that's like your two villains, like right there. That so. One other thing that I thought was kind of lame here was when Zuko and Zhao are kind of departing a little bit, and Zhao's walking away, and Zuko's like, "Don't tell anyone about the Avatar." Yeah, Yeah. I was like. (laughs) Come on, bro. That was that yeah. was like the only down like and that wasn't even his fault. That's just like the that was such a terrible line that was just felt unnecessary. Yeah. Like yeah. didn't need to be said at all. And then Zhao has that smile and it's like, come on, what are we doing here? But that's it. Yeah. The, the reason why I brought up Zhao being on Kyosha and as interesting is because it seems like they've done a one-to-one swap of him failing on Kyoshi Island is the live action version of him losing to Zuko in the Agni Kai. Oh yeah. Which is like way less cool. <laughs> yeah. Way less cool I because I still have the Agni like, Kai. Yeah. Zuko punches next to him and it's like that's him symbolized like I won but I'm not going to kill you whatever and then Zhao's like your father raised a coward and tries to st-. and then Iroh steps in and stops him which is sick and all that kind of stuff yeah, so he grabs him both by the th- I, mm. I was disappointed with that I I think they're probably just hanging on to Agni Kai for a later They have to introduce it like it has oh, to sure. be introduced at some point like there's yeah. just no way they'll introduce it in some way i was just like kind of waiting for it and then i was realizing like oh this is gonna be the swap that kind of like puts them on the same level where it's like okay Zhao's failed now we're yeah. kind of yeah. leveled out a little bit yeah they have to give us the zuko versus fire lord agni kai mm. flashback that needs yeah. to be oh yeah so we're gonna get an agni yeah, and speaking for sure. of the Fire Lord, I didn't know that Daniel Day Kim was a voice actor in the original series. He oh, played really? opening episode of season two. It's the crazy earthbending general who tries to force the Avatar state out of Aang. Mm-hmm. Oh, he plays that guy. Daniel Day Kim. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And he also plays a character named Hiroshi in Korra. So I saw know, a video, a, a friend of the series. I saw a video of him um, talking about Mark Hamill because Mark Hamill was the voice of that's Fire what Lord I was Ozai. just going to ask. I was like, speaking of uh, voice acting again, Fire Lord Ozai, do you guys remember who is his voice actor? But yeah. Yeah. Mark Hamill? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Dude, I'll have, to, I'll have to send you. I saw a, it was like kind of like a few months ago. It was like a TikTok. It was like actors that you would be totally shocked to know that voice yeah. a, per, a part in avatar the last airbender yeah. and it is like 20 actors and i was yeah. like holy shit isn't, but mark hamill serena williams yeah serena williams is a voice actress in the show yeah, <laughs> yeah that's fucking, cool it's fucking crazy but um he was just basically saying like it, it was so cool to work with mark hamill uh just because you know he, he had so much to offer him and it was it was just really cool hearing his opinions on working yeah. with mark hamill and really taking on that fire lord ozai um, cool. character well the look is fucking on point the muscles baby i can't dude wait. he is he <laughs> looks intimidating and powerful so that's got that I mean, sharp jawline it's yeah just, mm. that's step one so all right Any final thoughts man oh man what if we, we better get hotman too obviously we're far away from that but we'll see any final thoughts do you want to give like a, a one out of ten or do we not even want to do that I would. I don't know if I can give you like a one out of ten. I feel like I'm in a really weird spot of it's kind of better than I thought, but I still like am kind of meh on it. Yeah, I mean, the animated deal. like we all have said throughout the pod is just going to triumph yeah. over this anyway. It is fun. I mean, this was fun to talk about it though. And oh yeah, I've had opinions yeah. and yeah. So, but well, it's because I mean, we'll I'm reflecting this, onto the animated show more. So yeah, it's just like I'm thinking fair. about that in these moments. Yeah, um, we'll see. If you if you're asking me to quantify it, I cannot give it more than a five out of ten. <laughs> All right, yeah. that's fine. Probably that's fine. a bang and a half average. Out of 10. See, this yeah. was my yeah. process was I'll give it the first episode was a six and a half, second one was like a five. That averages out to like a five and a half, I'll say, so far on it's, the show. It is not a disservice mm-hmm. to the source material though. Yeah. Agreed. It, it it isn't an absolute disgrace, you know. No, it's better than the movie, which is a great start. Yes, we're, yeah. we're so that it's is the not a zero film. out of ten. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's all, not a zero. We all watched that in theaters together. Yes, and we even did. at the crisp age of like thirteen, we were all like, "Wow, that's probably the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life." Yeah, it still is. Yeah. It still is. Oh, Although M M Night's a fucking Philly area guys, so shout out. But damn, bro, let us down on that one. Yeah, that one was yep. brutal. Yeah, Alrighty, tough. that will be it for today's episode coverage of Avatar: The Last Airbender. This did come out on Netflix, so we're gonna do our best to try and rush out these episodes as soon as we can get through the entire season for you guys. I know everyone at this point is probably for the most part finished it, but we're uh, definitely and- done. Seeing yeah. like the most insane Twitter threads and arguments about people, <laughs> it's yeah. like they watch so it all in one day. We're gonna do our best to kind of try and keep up with you guys, but uh, no gar- no promises on when the next one will be released. It will just be as soon as we can. If you like what you heard. Binchtown TV, a follow on all of our socials on X, Insta, YouTube, and all of that good stuff. Be sure to join our Discord and chat with us about anything that you're currently watching, anything that you're watching with us. We'd love to know your opinions, especially on something like this. This is one of those shows that can cause a high controversy, so we would love to have those debates in the uh, in the comments and on Discord as well. Lastly, for an organized list of all of our podcast recordings and episodes, you can go check out BingetownTV.com. Everything there. Um, we have a nice tab for you. It's all alphabetical. If there's something that you've watched, we've probably covered it. So go ahead and recite and go check out those episodes as well. And if I didn't say it enough, once again, we are Bingetown TV. 
and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.